as we are now entering into climate change, these are the spaces that people with money want to be in because all around us is sinking. That triggered the conversation for me. We need to re reorient our conversations where we find out what's going on more in our patient homes. So you can lobby against one project and you can stand up and try to you know, protect a particular community, and I think rightfully so. But once you see a, a broader shift in consumer preferences, it becomes very difficult, I think, to forestall that. Hi, everyone. Dr. Celine Gounder here. I'm the host of American Diagnosis, the podcast about health and social justice. Dr. Cheryl Holder is a physician in South Florida. One day, a patient of hers came in with a problem that, at first, didn't seem like it had anything to do with her health. She couldn't afford her electricity bill. Anime, I call her anime, was about 2016. She was one of my regular patients, and she's an older lady, and she needed me to sign off on her Florida-powered light bill. In Florida, people on a fixed income can get a waiver from the state to help pay their electricity bill if there's a medical reason. But Cheryl was surprised to hear this from Annie May. She was not a person who would normally ask me for any waivers of any sort. I don't know, back a lot of the old um, Southern migrants to the South, they were all very proud people who worked all their whole lives. So for somebody like this to come in and ask me, to try and find a way to have a government or program like this help her, it's very unusual. But the reasons became more clear as Annie Mae began to tell her story. She was, couldn't afford her air conditioning, and she had to use it, and it was a very hot summer. Not being able to cool your home in the summer can be dangerous, especially for those who have other health conditions, like Miss Annie Mae. She had asthma with overlapping COPD. Chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, or COPD, is when you have tight airways, which make it harder to blow out air, and with it, carbon dioxide from your lungs. The damage can't be reversed. It only gets worse. And much of the poor folks in Miami lives in an older home where the humidity and moisture increases mold. So that then gives her more exacerbations. Allergies can trigger a flare of asthma and COPD, sometimes landing people in the hospital. And rising temperatures can make those allergies a whole lot worse. Scientists also note that allergy seasons are starting earlier and lasting longer. This means that people need more medicine and for longer periods of time. So she would have to have increased the type of medicines, which adds another prescription cost. When you're a low-income worker, your Social Security checks are not huge. So even an extra $10 copay is something you don't have. Annie May's situation is not unique. Another one of Cheryl's patients is a fruit vendor who works outdoors in the hot Miami summers. And that is brutal work. So when I saw him, he had other complications. And then, but his kidney function started going up. And there's a special thing that you see when people get dehydrated. So another time, it got better. I'm like, oh, what did you do different this time? And he had been off for a few days, so he wasn't selling like he would normally sell. And he got better. But for people who already live below the poverty line, not working because it's hot outside is not an option. 
The kidney troubles, asthma, and other illnesses could all be tied back to one thing, climate change. In this bonus episode of American Diagnosis, we're going to look at how climate change is impacting the health of people and their communities in South Florida. We'll hear what Cheryl did next, and we'll talk to two people working to make sure that people like Annie May can keep their homes when developers start looking to higher ground as sea levels rise. Cheryl started changing the way she spoke with her patients. She told them to be aware of how the heat was affecting their health. I target more my diabetics, my hypertensives, my folks with allergies, anyone with any lung and heart condition, making them aware that heat does impact their health and how to find safer places to go. But she knew she couldn't be the only physician seeing these climate-related complications. So this is kind of what I do now. In getting other clinicians to advocate and make the systemic changes. Cheryl now co-chairs Florida Clinicians for Climate Action. Her mission is to convince other physicians that climate issues are crucial when it comes to treating their patients. The other areas that we're looking at, especially Florida clinicians, is increasing climate literacy. None of this is taught in health professional schools. So most of the practicing physicians, and in Florida, if you look at the ages, most are over 50. So this definitely was not on any schools. If it's not here now, it's not even discussed. This means changing the sort of questions doctors ask their patients. And we do have to change our history to have it incorporate more questions about the climate and how our patients are adjusting to the climate. So now my elderly patients, I don't leave without knowing if in the summer, it's getting pretty hot. How is your home? Do you have cooling anywhere? I realize we need to re reorient our conversations where we find out what's going on more in our patient homes with COPD, with asthma, with any problem, especially children. If your kids are out there playing um, sports, what questions are the physicians asking? But Cheryl has faced some obstacles spreading that message to other physicians. Now, I'm very understanding of physicians because we are constantly bombarded with statistics and data that three years or two months later, you get the opposite. So why am I going to really adjust my practice, which is not easy, for data that may not be as good? Diversity is another issue. Asthma is much more prevalent in Hispanics and Blacks. So if your population doesn't have a good diversity, you're not going to see the asthma issues as much as if you have a diverse population. These racial disparities in health extend to the very homes where many of Cheryl's patients live. Florida, where I am in Miami, was developed based on racial laws, post-Civil War, and then Jim Crow era. So it puts Blacks in certain communities, and they pretty much stayed in these communities. So the housing and the codes and the ignoring of certain things have always been. That's how it is. And when you're poor, you live in poor homes. And things are taking a turn for the worse. So much of my communities now are under siege with gentrification, but they're in higher ground, which is unfortunate because now my folks who didn't have to deal with flooding, per se, they had to deal with old homes and mold and water leakage, but never flooding, are going into cheaper, lower-rent areas, which are now at zero feet above sea level. And the incentives to move are difficult to pass up. 
the housing is newer looking. So in many instances, the homes look very nice compared to where they're leaving. It's just a risk. And if you paid $40,000, $50,000 for a house and somebody's dangling $300,000 in front of you, it's hard not to take that money. This trend of pushing people of color to flood-prone areas troubles Cheryl. We went through Katrina. So we're creating a system right now we're going to put folks at risk of being like Katrina. Jesse Keenan has been studying this trend. Sure. My name is Jesse Keenan. I'm an associate professor at the School of Architecture at Tulane University. A 2018 study Jesse did found that properties in Miami-Dade County located on higher ground are increasing in value at a faster rate than those near the water. What this means for lower-income individuals who live in higher elevation neighborhoods is that they can no longer afford the skyrocketing rents. This phenomenon is called climate gentrification. Climate gentrification is a theory that people are in a state of transition, not only away from high-risk areas, but also moving towards lower-risk areas. And because of the way Miami was developed, this trend is mostly affecting communities of color. If you recognize the history of Miami, much of this high elevation is areas of low to moderate income, historically black communities in Miami that are sensitive to ongoing economic stress uh, and the risk of, frankly, even homelessness on the extreme end. We begin to see measures of displacement, and that comes in the form of housing displacement, cultural community displacement. So what's happening in Miami, I think is probably a combination of just a classic gentrification model, but also likely behavior um, attributable to climate. The need for affordable housing in Miami is a big problem, especially for older residents like Annie May. I think often overlooked in Miami is the elderly and senior housing component as well. But even building homes has become more complicated as the climate changes in places like South Florida. We're seeing greater heat stress. So buildings are experiencing greater material degradation because of the sustained moisture as well as heat stress on the buildings. So buildings are, for a number of different reasons, not cooling down at night. All of these things are working in concert with climate change to undermine public health considerations. Climate change may not be an explicit selling point for developers, Jesse says, but it influences where investment goes in the long run. It's generally not the primary consideration, but I'm not sure that really matters because I think in the long run, as long as climate is part of that decision making, I think it, it's okay to attribute climate and maybe even climate gentrification to this broader phenomenon, and this is the argument that I have made, is that when consumers change their preferences, it's hard to stop that. So you can lobby against one project and you can stand up and try to you know, protect a particular community, and I think rightfully so. But once you see a, a broader shift in demography, a broader shift in consumer preferences, it becomes very difficult, I think, to forestall that. The historically Black neighborhood of Overtown in Miami is a prime example of this. My name is Nicole Crooks, and I am a community engagement coordinator for the Overtown community with Catalyst Miami. Catalyst Miami is a nonprofit that promotes social equity. Nicole didn't grow up in Miami, but she's lived in Overtown long enough to notice how quickly the neighborhood is changing. One of my sons shared with me, he was like, you know... 
you know, times have changed. Anytime you see like young white couples walking their dogs in overtime at night, this is not, that's not how it was when we first moved here. The shifting racial makeup of the area has been due in part to new interest from real estate developers. And that's one of the things that has happened to Overtown. And people are finding it very difficult to afford where they live. The level of homelessness in our community is tremendous. Overtown is literally on the other side of the tracks. The railroad tracks is the delineating spot. They were very strategic about where they were built. It needed to be built on higher land. At its founding, it was one of the few places in Miami where Black people could live. The neighborhood became a center of Black culture in the region. The creativity and the brilliance of the Black people of Overtown created this amazing Mecca where they were very self-sufficient. During segregation, all the performers would come and they would perform over on South Beach, but they were not able to stay on South Beach, so they stayed over here. This is why this was called the Harlem of the South. Because this was just, it was just jumping with, with people. Some of the people that were not necessarily from Overtown, but spent a lot of time in Overtown, Joe Lewis, Jackie Robinson, Roy Campanella, Count Basie, Ella Fitzgerald, Dream a little dream of me. Cav Calloway, Lena Horne, Josephine Baker, Billie Holiday. Stars fading, but I linger on thee. Louis Armstrong, Nat King Cole, B.B. King, Bo Diddley, Aretha Franklin, Dionne Warwick, like all of them. But in the 1960s, an expansion of Interstate 95 destroyed much of the community. And so people were systematically disinvested, displaced, and, and all of that stuff. And, and now what has happened is that you see the blight. In the decades that followed, Overtown was plagued with the violence and poverty that often accompanies institutional negligence. But now, years later, the ground that it was built on has made the area prime real estate. It's a beautiful area. It's convenient to everything. The elevation is high. Like, you can, you can get anywhere from Overtown. The sudden spike in interest in Overtown land is not a coincidence. Some scientists say that by 2060, there will be a 14 to 34-inch rise in sea levels around Miami, making much of it uninhabitable. As we are now entering into climate change, one of the things that we're realizing is these communities that have been systematically oppressed, really, these are the spaces that people with money want to be in because all around us is sinking. Nicole says a friend described it like a game of Monopoly, where the developers are the players and the residents the pieces. And it made my heart hurt. Like, these are real people just being displaced into places that are far from everything, that, have, that are sinking. You're taking people from everything they've known, pushing them out. And it's not their choice. They just got to go. For survival, they have to go. Nicole deals with many of the issues Dr. Cheryl Holder and Jesse Keenan spoke about. If 
you're in Miami, like you have to have your air conditioner on because like if you go a day, <laughs> like literally, if you go a day without the air conditioner on to kind of process all of the dampness, you're gonna start growing mold, right? Like I have a dehumidifier in my room. I have the air conditioner on. And even with all of that, the other day I had to throw away like three pairs of shoes because they had grown mold. That is toxic on the body. And as a woman of color, the advocacy work that Nicole does is that much more crucial. When she attended a climate change summit in Key West, she found that she was one of the few brown faces there. Throughout the world, the people most affected by climate change look like me. And seeing the people that were in the room that were not reflective of me was disheartening to say the least. And all of these decisions are being made by people that cannot even relate to the struggles or trials. But Nicole says that the fight isn't a lost cause. One of the things that I can say for certain of the people of Overtown, just of Black people in general, right? Black and brown people in general have had to be resilient. We've had to be creative just to survive. And so if the time is taken to stop making decisions for and about us and come to us and ask us what we need and what we want and how we can create solutions together, that's the beginning of everything. American Diagnosis is brought to you by Just Human Productions. We're funded in part by listeners like you. We're powered and distributed by Simplecast. Today's episode was produced by Zach Dyer, Tematayo Fagbenle, and me. Our theme music is by Alan Vest. Additional music by The Blue Dot Sessions. If you enjoy the show, please tell a friend about it today. And if you haven't already done so, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps more people find out about the show. And Just Human Productions is now on Instagram. Check us out at Just Human Productions to learn more about the characters and big ideas we cover on American Diagnosis and our sister podcast, Epidemic. You can learn more about this podcast, how to engage with us on social media, and how to support the podcast at americandiagnosis.fm. That's americandiagnosis.fm. We love providing this and our other podcasts to the public for free. But producing a podcast costs money, and we've got to pay our staff. So please make a donation to help us keep this going. Just Human Productions is a 501c3 nonprofit organization, so your donations to support our podcasts are tax-deductible. Go to americandiagnosis.fm to make a donation. I'm Dr. Celine Gounder. Thanks for listening to American Diagnosis. American Diagnosis.